Hey, Steve, is it dark in here? Can we? All right, yeah. It seems, maybe am I wearing my sunglasses during the day? There we go, I love it, thank you. Um, not that we need the brightness to keep anybody awake. How many of you, how many of you used your extra hour for good? Yes. How many of you used it for evil? Whatever that means. Yeah. I stayed up an extra hour and then kidded myself that I was sleeping in. Um, so, uh, well, we are going to turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read the first 14 verses again. And this morning we're going to close out uh, this, this study in the first 14 verses. Um, for those of you who may be thinking, are we going to be in Ephesians for more than one year? At the pace we're going, uh, the answer is Yes, but only slightly more than one year. Um, chapter, uh, chapter 1 through uh, 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 20, we'll, we'll pick up steam, but we're going to slow down when we hit how we're called to walk in the Lord based on the blessings he's given us. So we're going to read the word and then we're going to pray, and, uh, and, and we will see what, what God has to say to us this morning. The scriptures say in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray as we turn to God's word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, to hear your word. And Father, may we never take this opportunity for granted because at any moment, not because of the laws of the land, but because of the capriciousness of the heart of men, Lord, this opportunity to worship you could be stolen from us. And so we thank you for the grace to be able to assemble and to meet. Father, we thank you for the inheritance that we have obtained in Christ. And we pray that as we consider this this morning, Father, that it would not seem as some pie-in-the-sky 
sweet by and by, someday kind of blessing, but that we may see that we possess all of the grace which you have for us now in Christ. But Father, at the same time, we live at a time where we can truly say that though we have your blessings, we do not yet experience them to the full. And we're called to trust that you will one day give us every spiritual blessing in a greater way. And may we see that we are kept by your Spirit until that day. Father, as we journey from beginning to end this morning, Father, I pray that there is, there is much to hear. I pray that we would have ears to hear, that we would believe what we hear, and that we would put it to work in our lives, Father, because you are working to change us, transform us, and conform us to your image. We pray your blessing on our time now in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in his book, Great Expectations, Charles Dickens tells the story of a young boy who is a, an orphan um, being raised by his sister and his uh, brother-in-law, Joe, who discovers after a time of extended poverty that someone has taken a great interest in him and is sending a great amount of money his way someday. These are his great expectations and, and, and nobody pays any attention to Pip or loves him or um, has any time for him until people discover that money will one day flow his way. And then everything changes for him. He doesn't possess the full inheritance at the beginning of the story. Uh, he doesn't possess any of the inheritance at the beginning, but as the story progresses, he, he gets some of the money and begins to live on a bit of the money. As the story progresses, by the way, this book's like 100 years old, so if I give away anything, you know, you should have read it by now. Um, he lives in the now of the money, and he waits for the money to come in full so that he can impress a girl that he loves, um, but he lives in, in the now of some of his inheritance, and he's waiting for the rest of it, but people treat him like he has received the full of the money. Does this, does this make sense? He lives in the now, uh, but he understands that there is a not yet. There's something yet coming. When it comes for him, it utterly destroys his life and makes him completely miserable. Um, that analogy of now and not yet, works for us in the Christian life. Although we should know that when we receive the fullness of the blessing, it will be anything but misery. It will be glory to God in the highest and we'll praise Him. Let's talk about the now and the not yet this morning as it applies to what's in front of us in verses 11 through 14. The first thing that I believe that we should draw out of our text this morning is that we ought to confidently hope in our present inheritance. Look at what the scriptures say here. We have been blessed, right, back up in verse 3, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And one of the blessings is an inheritance. We have obtained a heavenly inheritance while we are still in our earthly bodies. Now, we ought to confidently trust and believe in the fact that this inheritance is ours and it is real. Why? Why should we do that? Okay, let me explain why. Notice what Paul says. It is because we have 
been predestined to it. Okay? It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God, who works all things, he works every event of our lives, every action that happens in the world, he works them according to the counsel of his will. What this is saying is that in the past, in the deep, dark vaults of things which we cannot understand before that time ever was or time ever began, God made a plan. He consulted himself. He decided on a course of action, and he determined what that would be, and he is enacting that plan now. And everything is going according to plan. We have obtained an inheritance according to God's plan. Let me just address for a second what the inheritance is, and then I want to talk about the implications of this. What is the inheritance? There are nine blessings which are detailed. We have, uh, we're having inheritance taped up there right now, but if you look, you can see that, that God has blessed us with election. Uh, there is the predestination aspect of election where God is working and transforming us. We are adopted. We receive the fullness of God's grace. We also, in Christ, over here on this wall, we have knowledge of God's plan. We have redemption. We've been purchased out of slavery to sin, and therefore we receive forgiveness. We also have inheritance, an inheritance, and we have sealing. What is the inheritance? It is all of God's goodness displayed toward us from now, for all time, forever. That's our inheritance. All the goodness of God, which comes from knowing and resting in Him for all eternity, starting now. That is our inheritance. That is a good thing to possess. Causes Paul in another place in the book of Romans to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? If all of this is ours, what else could we possibly need? Really? What is the location of these blessings? I think this is important to notice. Paul describes the location. At the beginning of verse 11, he says that in him we have obtained an inheritance. The implications of this are that for those, perhaps even in this room, who are not in Christ, who do not believe in the saving death of Jesus on their behalf, there is no ultimate lasting blessing. Several times over the past few weeks, Chris has used the phrase in his prayers, common grace, describing the common goodness and kindness of God towards all people, and we believe in this. The Bible says that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. The Bible also says that the presence of, of suffering or trials in our life is not evidence of God's displeasure toward us, although at times it can be. We need to be wise and discerning here. The implication here, though, is that those who are in Christ have obtained and will enjoy for all eternity a inheritance, a blessing. But for those who are not in Christ, there is no last, no lasting blessing. Some have said, truly, 
for now. This is their best life now. And eternity will be unpleasant and difficult and hard, eternally separated from the goodness of God, facing only His wrath. In Christ, we can believe this, that the pains that we experience now, the trials, the sufferings, the difficulties, this is our worst life now. The pain that we experience now will one day go away and eternity will be filled with joy and happiness. And there will be no tears, no sorrow, no difficulty. We have been predestined to inherit the inheritance by the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I love this, this phrase about predest, being predestined. I, I think that again here, like in, in the previous passage where predestination was mentioned, this is a, a, a great cause of hope. This should not be a, a, a difficulty for anybody that trips them up. Although I'll talk about that in just one second. I, I see here an enormous safety net hung underneath our lives as God is working all things according to his will. And therefore, we can risk and we can believe, and we can engage His Word and obey His commands and not feel like perhaps I will faith too much, perhaps I will hope too much, perhaps I will love too much, and someone will take advantage of me, and, and I, I will not have enough to survive, or, or, or my life will be ruined, you know, and, and, and I won't make it to the end. No, God has predetermined that, that we are going to make it to the end and receive this inheritance. This is good news. Our inheritance is built on an immovable foundation. The good and sovereign, predetermined, foreseen, predesired, predestined plan of God. The fact that we possess an inheritance now is the result of God's deliberate, eternal plan. Now some of you and, and, and I'd say some of you, and, and I also mean me, there are these times where, where we think like, but what does that mean? What if God changes his mind? What, if, what does that mean for those who, who don't receive blessings? I, I'd say this. The only reason that we are suspect of God's will is that we know our own. The only reason we suspect God's will and we attribute that there might be some cruelty or unfairness is because we know that that exists in us and we've been treated that way by others. God's will, as described in the Bible, is completely pure, completely blameless, and his plan is perfect. And he does not change his mind because notice, his plan was enacted, it was decided, it was determined before time ever was, and therefore nothing that happens in time can change it. Therefore, he will never change his mind. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He will always be with us. You have an inheritance. You have more to come. God will never take it from you. The question that comes to me, it's bubbled up in my mind and probably in yours, is that you mean that I could sin all I want. I could do anything. 
and still be the recipient of God's goodness and grace? I would respond to that by saying yes, but why would you want to in light of what we've been given? What's the purpose of God's predestining will, of his determining all of this beforehand and then giving us this inheritance in his life? It's so that we might be to the praise of his glory, that our purpose might be to lift up his goodness and his kindness and his mercy toward us and praise him for it. This is a good cause. I pray that as you hear this about yourself, that God has given you all of his goodness and will give you more in eternity, that this causes praise to bubble up within you and that you enjoy God's kindness toward you. Every blessing, how does the song go? Every blessing you've poured out, I'll turn back to praise. Have you noticed, as C.S. Lewis observed, that everything in our lives that we enjoy delights in praise? You notice that? Did you get a new phone recently? It's got more features than your last phone. What do you do with it? You're hanging around and you're like, click, and you break out your phone. You're like, look at my new phone. You know? You start going out with a girl or with a guy, and they are the world to you. Or you propose and she says yes, and you're like, I'm going on Facebook and I'm proclaiming that to everyone. (laughs) Right? It's to your glory. Right? You are a baseball card collector and you get a card that you have searched for for years or which has finally come down in price and you've gotten it. People come over to your house and you're like, look, look at this. People come to my house, I show them my books. I'm like, look, everything that we value, everything that we love results in praise. And when you look around the room and you think that nothing can rob your eternal inheritance because God has determined it. You are his child. You receive all of his goodness because he's purchased you out of sin and given you forgiveness and shown you what he's going to do. And that is your inheritance. We should say yes and be excited and result in praise toward him. Don't doubt your inheritance. You have it. It's real. It's built upon the finished work of Christ. It's determined by the purpose of the Father. And what we're going to move toward now is that it is guaranteed by the sealing of the Spirit. So let me just urge you to praise God in the now, even at this very moment, in your heart or out loud, for the reality of what you have now and will have forever and what you have had from the moment in which you believed in the cross of Christ for your salvation. You have and inheritance, and it will never go away. That is good news. Let's move to our second item that we see in the text this morning, and that's that we ought to live in the good and with the assurance of our future inheritance. We will receive more. There is more to come. The Bible says that eye has not seen nor ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. We are guaranteed more, and we are blessed with sealing in the Spirit until we receive it. Okay, so here is the action. I love watching you guys walk around and hang up these words. It's so cool. I love it. I don't know. I'm thinking of leaving them up for a little while and then taking them down later. I just, I, I enjoy seeing them. I walk in here and I see election on the wall and adoption. It just makes me happy. It's good. Um, Notice what it says here in verses 13 through 14. It says that we were sealed 
with the promise Holy Spirit. We were sealed. We'll talk about sealing in just a moment, but this is a blessing that God has sealed us with his spirit. Okay, let's talk first about how this happens, when it happens. Look at what it says in verse 13. In him, this is again a blessing in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were sealed. Notice the two time factors there. There's when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him. There's a, there's a moving, a progression here in these phrases. There's a hearing. The hearing results then in belief in the heart, and then that results in being sealed. Jesus says in Luke chapter 8, verse 18, be careful how you hear. Be careful how you hear. Because there are ways of hearing and receiving the truth of, of absorbing information that are not correct. Okay? We can hear but become deaf, right? Have you ever tried to work in a house full of kids or, or tried to do something on a busy job site? Maybe you work in a hospital and there is noise all around and you need to focus on what one person is saying, you know? Um, you, you, if you've worked at, for any time as a police officer, you know, you've got cars whizzing by, and you're like, you know, license and registration. You've got to hear and ignore certain things. And so there's a hearing where you can focus on one thing, but you can become deaf to other things. There's a spiritual kind of hearing in which we can hear the Word of God proclaimed week after week, and we can become deaf to it. We become immunized to the proclamation of the truth, and we always want to hear something new, something exciting, the next thing, a better thing. We need to avoid hearing and becoming deaf, because what we need to hear on a regular basis is the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. We need to be reminded of these things. We can hear things as a song, like a lullaby, right? The the sound of words, the reading of the Bible, listening to Christian radio. We hear sounds, but we don't react to it. Matter of fact, sometimes we allow it to put us to sleep. We become immobile and we don't change. We need to be very careful of this. That we not forget what God has done for us. There's another kind of hearing that's a hearing that we're not taking to heart, which we call ignoring. Yes, Dad, I hear what you're saying, and I'm going to say that I'm going to do it. And as soon as I turn and walk away, I do what I want. Jesus says, be very careful how you hear. We're to take in words through our ear gates, to apply them to our heart, and then to go and live them out. Paul says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, you were sealed. Be very careful, brothers and sisters, how you hear. Why is this called the word of truth? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed. Why the word of truth? I looked up truth on dictionary.com. And our present usage of truth, I think, rings true here. 
Truth is that which conforms with fact or reality. Okay? The gospel of our salvation is the word of truth. Because it first points out our true condition. We've seen this over and over. That we are lost. We are sinful. That our good deeds add up to nothing deserving merit in God's eyes. And the gospel points that out to us, that we truly have nothing to offer God. But it also proclaims true deliverance and says that God is gracious and loving and merciful. And though we've run from him, though our situation is bleak, he is willing to deliver us. And he goes to the cross, takes all of our sins upon himself. This is the Lord Jesus we're speaking of. And he pours out his life that we might receive his perfect righteousness if we trust in his work. And so it points out our true condition. It proclaims true deliverance and then promotes true gratitude. Tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To work good deeds out of love and out of joy, and not out of drudgery or obligation. That's the word of truth. Paul calls it the gospel of our salvation. What does that mean? It means that when we proclaim the word, when we hear the word, when we read scripture or we hear a message or, or we, somebody quotes a Bible verse to us and for the very first time we hear and understand the good news in our hearts and minds that the gospel becomes the saving power of God. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because that information, those ideas are the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There's only one thing in the Bible other than the power of God that's called the power of God. And that's the gospel. It has the power to save and to change. Okay, I want to talk about seal and draw this to a close here. What is a seal? I'm not talking about a, you know, kind of an animal, a mammal that swims through the water and barks and lusts after fish. Um, talking about a seal, okay? And I'm thinking, what kind of seals do we have in our modern culture, right? I got a laptop the other day in the mail, and it had security tape on it, right? And it says, if this seal has been tampered with, return to manufacturer, right? It's that perfect tape that once you cut it, you can never, like, get it to line up again. That's, that's one kind of seal. Um, TV shows, right, that you've got police tape, police line, do not cross, and then they, like, stick a notice that says this property is sealed. Do not enter. Um, there's judicial seal. If you were a miscreant when you were a kid, you robbed cars and burned stuff, right? You know, sometimes they'll send you off to juvenile hall, and then when they let you go, you go out to get a job, they, they tell you, we're going we're gonna to let you go out there with a, with a good record. We'll keep your records under seal. No one can look at them. I'm pretty sure the good housekeeping seal is still around, right? You know? Good housekeeping seal. We love this product. We don't like this product. And then there's the, the seal which I've been enjoying, and that is uh, ever since Mary Jo taught Nancy how to make applesauce. There's the, the popping of the lid of the applesauce, right? That, the, as, the, as the air rushes in and you, you get to eat applesauce as the lid comes off. Those are, those are seals. 
Now, we may tend to think that the primary use of a seal, I think, in our culture is that things are sealed, and that means that they are fresh, right? You know, I know the applesauce is good because it's not gray and hairy, you know, and, the, and it makes that sound, and, and I, I can eat it. And we think freshness. But a seal denotes quality. It also denotes preservation, not just freshness. Security tape and police tape, the way we use them, indicate that something is authentic, that it is untampered with. Judicial seal, police tape, security tape also denote what is official. They have a mark of ownership on them. You need to have authority to pass or to, 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 to enter. When we think about the good housekeeping seal, there is assurance of quality. Somebody's putting their name on something. All of these things are true when we consider the seal with which we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. God has placed something of quality within us that preserves us in our walk with him until we meet him in glory. God has stamped the authentic seal on us that we are truly his. And we are protected against evil powers and enemies by the spirit who works within us. It is official. We are owned by God and we are assured that he will one day redeem his people. The seal is the promised Holy Spirit. If you want to know more about this, I'd send you to John 14, John 15, and John 16. But a verse that I really love is Acts 2.33. Peter is preaching about the resurrection of Jesus, and he says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, this is Jesus he's speaking of, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And the image is Jesus ascending to the right hand of God, God giving him the Spirit, and Jesus pouring out the Spirit on his people who believe. And as they receive and hear the message, the Spirit is poured into them, and they receive him, and they are assured of their salvation. They are preserved, protected, until they meet God. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, Right? Doesn't the Bible say that they died? They were separated from God. The Bible says in Genesis 2 that God breathed in life to them and they became living beings. When we believe in the gospel and we're sealed, we become alive again in the way that Adam and Eve were alive, in the way that no human being knew for thousands of years until Christ came and made it possible. We're sealed. And that guarantees that we will receive the future inheritance. So now, many of you wonder, can I lose my salvation? I think the best way to ask this question is this. Can what God has sealed go bad? Or another way is, can Jesus lose a Christian? And the answer is emphatically no. He will never leave us or forsake us if he is in us. Now look at what Paul says here in verse 14. He says, When we heard the word of truth, 
And we believed in him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In, in my last few minutes, I just want to drive this idea home. The Spirit is the guarantee of our greater inheritance. If he is in us, it is an absolute positive guarantee that we will one day receive the fullness, the wholeness, the all-in-allness of all the blessings of God when God redeems us, okay? There is a threefold nature of the redemption work that God is doing in our lives. Somebody has asked me, um, somebody, somebody said something recently that I don't believe that people can be saved in an instant, to which I say, yeah, that's what the Bible believes, okay? So, so I'm, not, I'm not, okay? Let's, let's just break this down. Though. Hear, what, hear what I'm going to say here, okay? Do I believe salvation is a process? Yes, absolutely. But I believe it is also a now and a not yet kind of a thing, okay? The Bible speaks of redemption in terms of the work of Christ on the cross, right? Look at verse 7. It says that we have been redeemed. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, We can be saved in a heartbeat, delivered from our sins. We can receive forgiveness, complete and total, from all of our trespasses, past, present, and future. Knowledge of that, of God's goodness and kindness toward us, ought to result in us living a changed, transformed life in which we lay aside sin and embrace holiness. 1 Corinthians 6 Verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Okay, so we believe we can be saved in an instant, redeemed in an instant. Why why do we say then salvation is a process? Because we have to live a life in which we are continually holding on to God, holding on to the Spirit, trusting in the work of Christ to preserve us from falling. The Spirit is our supply on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day, hour-by-hour, week-by-week, month-by-month, year-by-year basis. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Okay, By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Do you see how we're being redeemed in our life there? How, how God's redemption plan is taking effect? You know, if, if I'm standing up here and I'm like, boy, I'm preaching this sermon, I'm doing a really good job, and I preach, the, and, I, and, I, and I sin and, and, and pride, why, why aren't I not instantly consumed? Why don't I lose my salvation? Because God is giving me the righteousness that comes from the Spirit, that He applies to our account. And so we walk each and every moment in the goodness of the gospel. We are being redeemed. But there's a time when we will be fully redeemed. It's the not yet. And this is the glorification that comes when God comes and brings His people home. We see this in verse 14. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That phrase, until we acquire possession, is until it is redeemed, until God redeems it, until we are redeemed. And this is a thing yet to come. And so we can say in some sense that we are not yet saved, even though we are saved 
fully and totally, and we are being saved every moment. We have a salvation yet to look forward to, the full and final deliverance from all sin and sorrow, from all evils, all disorder, and we'll be given a heart and a new nature that sings in tune with God's heart and never misses a note. We have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. He is not only a promise, but the first part of the inheritance. Many of you have had this experience. I pray that you have done it well. I did not do it so well. But I went and I got a gold ring with a diamond on it. And it came with a matching ring. I gave it to Nancy and I said, Will you marry me? And that is a pledge and a promise of something full to come, that I will love you, honor you, cherish you, till death do we part. And when we stood at that altar and made vows, there was more. There was another piece of that ring, and, and the two go on, the, the diamond engagement ring and the gold wedding band, and the two go together. This is what Paul is speaking of when he says that the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. We've been given the engagement ring with the diamond in it, now we see in part. Now we experience in part. But when God redeems us, ultimately, we will experience it in full. We'll possess the goodness of God eternally and fully. We possess the goodness of God in the Spirit now, but we will possess Him more fully one day. What is the purpose of all this? Just drawing this to a close. It's to the praise of His glory. Just take a moment and look at the walls again. Look at the words on the walls. We have been building over the last four weeks a, a bank statement, a list of features, a certificate of things which you already own, which you possess in Christ. These are yours. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, but you acknowledge your sinfulness and you believe in the work which Jesus has done on the cross for you, repenting of your sins and you trust in God's goodness, he will give all these things to you now. Call upon his name. Believer, these things are yours. They are fully yours. Do you believe it? Do you own them now to the praise of his glory? Imagine again how praise will resound when we meet him in glory one day. We're given an opportunity to praise God in all of his fullness when, we, reveal, when we, we realize all that he's given to us. We will cry out, you have done all things well. You are good. You are holy. You are mighty. You are glorious. You are strong. You are forgiving. Not one word of all the good promises that you made toward us has failed. You've given us everything you promised, though we deserve nothing, and we'll sing eternal hallelujahs to him. God will be God, and the whole world will know it, and those who are in Christ will enjoy it. Do you believe that this morning? Pray with me as we close. Father, in Isaiah 43, you say that you are forming a people for yourself that they might declare your praise. 
God, your purpose in forming people is that they might resound for your glory. Father, you have given us so much. You have sealed us with the Spirit. You have promised us an eternal inheritance. Father, I pray that these might be things that we clutch onto in times of darkness and deep despair, when we struggle, when we question, when we sin and we wonder if you still love us, when we suffer and we doubt if you still are near us. May we trust that we are sealed and that we will one day receive the fullness of the things which you've already given us. Father, we thank you for the great love and mercy that you've shown us in Christ. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who is hearing these things for the first time or as if for the first time, Father, I pray that they would put their trust and hope fully in you and in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that you would give them new life. We thank you that you always do because you delight to do that. Father, may we trust that we possess the things you have given us. We thank you for your love and affection toward us. We pray your blessing on us as we go from this place. And as we walk in delight, Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.